IndieWire calls Christian Petzl's Transit brilliant, like a remake of Casablanca as written by Kafka. Presented by Music Box Films, Transit follows a refugee who assumes the identity of a dead man and ends up pursuing the man's wife. Opens March 1st at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and the IFC Center. This edition of the Film Comment Podcast is supported by the River Run International Film Festival, April 4th through the 14th in Winston-Salem and Greensboro, North Carolina. In January, USA Today named River Run one of 10 amazing film festivals worth traveling for. Information at riverrunfilm.com getaway. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. In our current issue, Jim Hoberman writes about The Triumph of the Will, the film Lainey Riefenstahl directed to glorify Hitler and the Nazis. Hoberman writes about how the 1935 movie raises the question of artistry and evil as it demonstrates the unprecedented rabble-rousing technology of emotional manipulation. Yet over the decades, the reputation of Triumph of the Will changed, and it became appreciated by many in terms of its formal accomplishments. How did this happen? On this week's episode, I'm joined by Hoberman, who's a film comic contributing editor, for a talk about the twisted path of Triumph of the Will. Joining the discussion is Zoe Beloff, a professor at Queens College and a filmmaker. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, my name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. And this episode is going to focus on an article from our latest issue, our January-February issue with Godard on the cover, or at least his movie on the cover. And this is featured um, by Jim Hoberman about the long and somewhat torturous uh, history of uh, Triumph of the Will. Uh, its, its reception, its transmission, um, and the issues it raises um, regarding the idea and, and the practice of, I guess, fascist art, <laughs> you might say, and, and, and where the uh, boundaries are in terms of defining art. But before I go any further, I, I, I would like to introduce my two guests, uh, beginning with... Oh, I'm Jim Hoberman, and uh, spent a while researching this, uh, this, this article and thinking about it. Glad that it was published. Yes, no, we're very, very happy to be publishing it. Uh, we're also pleased to be joined by... I'm Zoe Veloff. I'm an artist and a filmmaker, and um, I've been interested in Jim Hoberman's research, and I've been particularly interested recently in uh, reemergence of fascism in America today. Well, that's... Let's put a pin in that. I think we might be getting back yeah. to that. Um, but I think for starters, it might be helpful uh, just for, for listeners to hear what the kind of genesis of, of the article was and um, maybe a little bit about when and, and how you first saw the, the different versions of the, of the film. Well, probably I saw bits and pieces of it uh, in television documentaries. I mean, there, there uh, used to be a show called The 20th Century, which was... Uh, hosted by Walter Cronkite, which would focus on different episodes. And uh, naturally, these were episodes which could, in some sense, be filmed. So Triumph of the Will, it was, it was inevitably there, was inevitably excerpted uh, in these uh, historical uh, pieces. The first time I, I saw it all the way through, actually, was at the uh, Anthology Film Archives. And I was very curious to see it. I don't know if I was uh, surprised that it was considered part of the uh, essential cinema. I mean, uh, I, I thought it was essential for me, for my education. 
And I have to say that I really hated it. I mean, mm. not so surprising. But um, uh, then uh, years later when I was teaching, um, I used to show it. I showed the, the Museum of Modern Art, uh, the shorter version, and I had a, you know, a whole way of showing it with other sync sound films and of, of, of the period to show this kind of total or totalitarian cinema. That's when I, I realized that the, the short version was, was better for classes and it was, it, was, it was a better film. And then there was this story that Luis Buñuel had edited it. And so that, you know, I, I, I wanted to get to the bottom of that. <laughs> what, what ended up being the, the, I'm just curious the answer with the Buñuel thing. It's kind of one well, of those Buñuel myths. Or... Well, there's no, I can, there's no definitive answer. There's the paper trail that exists at the, the Museum of Modern Art where Buñuel was working at the time, although not for MoMA. He was involved in a um, kind of a program of, of um, making uh, favorable propaganda for uh, Latin America. So somebody else edited it, according mm -hmm. to the paper trail. Uh, yeah. It was supervised by Iris Barry, who was the head of the film library. She had, she had acquired the print. And um, then uh, MoMA began distributing this uh, the, the shorter version. And the, the earliest reference I came across to Buñuel taking credit for this was in a uh, a book by uh, Ado Kiru, a kind of second generation surrealist who, who who wrote a book on Buñuel, and then Buñuel began he, he's talking about it also in his various interviews. So much so that uh, Riefenstahl picked up on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she seemed to particularly um, attuned to any form of publicity about the film. I mean, that's something that kind of keeps coming up in the, in in your article that. She, you know, not only was she orchestrating things in front of the camera, but also outside of it, you know, the, the passage of this film through history and culture. She was also like a stage, stage mother in a way to the yeah. film. Well, she was a good propagandist and she was yeah. a good propagandist for herself. And, 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 and Zoe, so you saw the, uh, the um, long version, long version. Yeah. <laughs> Emphasis on long. Oh, very long. Yeah. <laughs> I would call it the longest commercial in history. <laughs> I mean, I uh -huh. think actually one of the most, one of the things that it's, it foreshadows is commercials and is branding, actually. I mean, there is rarely a shot without a swastika. I mean, there are swastika banners, there's swastika flags, there's special swastikas. I mean, it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. I could, I could go on, you know, I think yeah. the swastika is, I was trying to think about it in relation to this, I was thinking it's the most potent and most toxic logo in history. Right. And this was its great celebration, you know. Yeah. I mean, just think about those great, like, eagles, those eagles in the stadiums. I mean, you know, that could be Coke, it could be Walmart. They right. all grow out of this film. Yeah, and I wonder if we can think about a, uh, get a get a kind of recap of the, of the transmission just post, you know, the, the Third Reich. Like, how, how did this propaganda film find its way out of that world into ostensibly more ostensibly freer, you know, Western. Yeah. Well, first it, it was commissioned by Hitler to, uh, uh, to document the 30, uh, the 1935 uh, party uh, rally in Nuremberg. He wanted Lenny Riefenstahl to do this. I mean, he, he admired her. Uh, although this is something that would later change in her account. It, it's it's the rally and the film were were planned simultaneously, so it, it uh, which is was quite a leap. I, I doubt that that had ever happened in something uh, that purported to be a documentary. I mean, this is why she always claimed it was cinema verite. 
that they, they just were doing this and she showed up and she filmed it. But in fact, you know, she had, I don't know how many, 30 camera operators and their assistants and they were wearing uniforms and the Nuremberg built things to their specifications and so on. So it really was, it's, it's, um, it is the longest commercial in, in history, maybe the most elaborate photo op because it was, it, it's, the rally happened to be documented. And then the film was released in, in Berlin with a lot of hoopla. Um, they, they made up the, uh, uh, the Zoo Palast, which is still there, you know, with swastikas and eagles and flags and the whole thing. And it, it was shown, but you know, the, the, uh, from what I can judge, it was not a popular success. I mean, uh, it was like an art film in a way, a prestige film. And, um, did win Best Documentary at the uh, Venice Film Festival. Of course, that was a fascist festival, you know, uh, right. uh, organized by Mussolini. And, you know, a lot of countries wouldn't show it. It was shown in France at the, uh, uh, the Paris Expo, you know, in uh, 1938, I think, 38, 39. But uh, it couldn't really be shown publicly in the UK or the United States. They, uh, but Iris Barry was traveling around Europe um, accumulating films for the Museum of Modern Art. She was the first cura film curator there, and she was putting together a film library, and she was looking at a lot of films all over, and German films too, and she just picked this up uh, as, part of the, as part of the package. Uh, she came back, she showed it to um, uh, some uh, powerful politicians in Washington, or parts of it, just as an example of propaganda, along with American propaganda, you know, along with these New Deal films, like The Father Broke the Plains and so on. Uh, during the war, um, people used MoMA's print in, in other American propaganda films. And the same thing happened in the UK, because the, uh, the, the British Film Institute had a print which was, which was used. It was uh, really, you know, a kind of special thing that people were handling fairly carefully. I don't think it was shown publicly in its full length in New York. This is outside of some German theaters, you know, before the war until Amos Vogel showed it in um, 1954 at Cinema 16. Mm. Um, but thanks really to a MoMA's short print, which is much more uh, digestible and also, you know, objectively is a, is a better movie. I mean, it's not, it's not as tedious as the original. It, be, it became known. And then she got control of the prints. This to me is the most amazing thing, that she actually got control of, of Trying for the Will and her other you know, uh, a significant film, Olympiad. And so in the early 60s, people had to go to her to get to get the films. I mean, it's really quite a uh, coup. And that's when her rehabilitation started. I mean, uh, she's been showing the films in various other places. By 1970 or so, she was being canonized. I mean, they, uh, she was at the tel first Telluride Film Festival. They gave her a special award, Anthology Film Archives, uh, put the movie uh, as part of the essential cinema. And it was all going, you know, Mick Jagger, uh, she took the pictures of Mick Jagger and Bianca Jagger and the, for the papers and so on. It was all going very well for her until uh, Susan Sontag wrote this essay in the New York Review of Books, Fascinating Fascism. And that kind of threw a, uh, a monkey wrench into her rehab, but she still was lionized by many critics and um, yeah. uh, film, you know, uh, programmers and so on. Yeah. I'm curious because Albert Speer was not kind of rehabilitated and he was like tried for crimes against humanity. Why was she not? She They are hand in glove. Yeah. Now it's interesting. Well, 
you know, Spear was in some ways rehabilitated. You know, he wrote that he this massive book, and my feeling is that they were, and and she did face some uh, denazification uh, issues in the after the, after the war, which you know she complains about mightily in her in her memoirs. But my feeling is that, you know, and this is implicit in, in Sontag's article, that, that they were the two glamorous survivors of Nazism. They were the artists, you know, and of course artists can't be held responsible for their uh, uh, disgraceful uh, uh, political acts or amorality. I mean, that was the, that was the, uh, the general sense of it. And I think that um, she, was, she was more glamorous than, uh, than, than Spear, <laughs> but... You know, it's 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 similar that they they were they were aesthetes and 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 aesthetes could uh, could appreciate. Yeah, there's in a way. I mean, it, it almost sounds like it's like a form of like laundering, you know, through aesthetics. That's really, to me, comes to the central question, which is is triumph of the will art? And I thought a lot about that, like your article and, and watching the film again. And I mean, it's one of those trick questions, like. Because to say something's art or not art is like, does it check these boxes, you know? And that's really terrible. But I would argue that art on, in any form, on any level, it is there to promote thinking, feeling, opening people up to the world in some way. And it seems like Triumph of the Will, its very raison d'etre is to close it down. You know, Ein Volk, Ein Reich, Ein Führer. There is nothing else. It is all about closing down the mind. And I honestly don't think you can call that art. It might have artful shots. It might be cleverly constructed. But art it is not. It's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's artistic. But I think that, you know, it's the, is the question is, is it, is it Nazi art? Because, you know, if, if we had Riefenstahl here to to defend herself or one of her apologists. I'm sure she would be glad to. Yeah, right. <laughs> but let's say, but to the people who apologized for the, right, yeah. you know, for, for the film, I mean, you know, uh, uh, critics like uh, John, John Simon, I mean, uh, uh, the, the selection committee of the anthology film archives are certainly Jonas Mekas, Peter Kabelka, PM Sidney, they're, they're all concerned with, uh, with, with art. So, you know, the attitude might be, well, it does open you up to, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, probably if they thought about it, you know, and, and wanted to make a defense, they would say, well, you know, it's a movie from 1935. I mean, Hitler hadn't killed too many people. You know, I mean, you're, you're seeing it retro, you know, through, the, through the prism of, of, right, um, right. of the war. I'm not arguing it for it as, as art, but I, that's a term that I find difficult to, uh, uh, to define. I mean, I start off in this article by saying there are certain movies which raise this, this problem. Of you know because you know objectively they're evil films but you know they are artistic. I mean the same thing is true of the Birth of a Nation. I mean what does what does one do with that? I mean I think you're right, but I will I will hold f firm to my <laughs> you know I won't give this up. Yeah. I mean I think I think it's interesting, for example, to compare it to another work with ostensibly similar that promotes uh, an ideology of politics that has huge, massive crowd scenes and, you know, that kind of, like, cast of thousands. Let's compare it to, like, Eisenstein. Let's compare it to October. Mm -hmm. If you watch October, whether you believe in the Russian Revolution, there's 
poetry, I mean, the way the editing is constructed, it's music. It's musical in a way that I don't believe Triumph of the Will is at all. And you look at those faces, and the faces are indelible. They're amazing. You look at the faces in Triumph of the Will, you can't remember a single one mm -hmm. because they are stock. They're just like this Aryan archetype, and they all look the same. Mm -hmm. There is crowd scenes. There's long shots. There's close-ups. There's big buildings. It's a big ego. But... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there is this... There is this equivalence that that goes on um where people will say yes trying for the will is fascist but what about uh you know battleship and what aren't these films propaganda too and all i would say to that is that the um battleship potemkin had its best audience in germany in the in in, in the in the 20s and goebbels and at least goebbels maybe hitler too uh but certainly goebbels saw it and that was the model mm -hmm. in some I respect mean, you can for, see for that. For the, they I, 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 they wanted one of their own. <laughs> they they want they wanted one of their own, and uh, you know they wanted a Nazi uh, Potemkin. And I do think that um, Riefenstahl is 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 overrated as a filmmaker. Putting the art aside, I think that that you know there's no question that she's that she's uh, tremendously talented and does some brilliant things. But I think that she's, there is what you identified, a kind of leaden, heavy quality, you know, and the, the symmetry is relentless. And it and it's in, in Olympiad, which is the, the, the film that becomes her sort of official masterpiece, the way that, you know, uh, Intolerance was the more watchable Griffith film, which is actually, you know, um, <laughs> so, so Olympiad, oh, well, but at least that, you know, that has all the same things going for it. Um, although it is interesting because it's so fake. I mean, I, I find her like a useful from a pedagogical mm -hmm. point of view because yeah. she was uh, um, uh, so good at uh, uh, using the um, the medium for certain ends, and also you know if she invented you know like the uh, uh, the infomercial or something, she also invented wide world of sports. I mean, you know she you know she she's somebody who had you know a a, a, a tremendous impact on. Um, 20th century media and beyond. I mean, I think that I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think it, she's actually had incredible influence on 21st century media yeah. mm. in the sense that, like I was thinking about it, you know, because it was it was created at the same time as Walter Benjamin wrote, like the art, art in the age of mechanical reproduction, but it really foreshadows digital reproduction. Mm. And I think that's what's so interesting. It's like well, Benjamin wrote this thing in their cage project, and he said, in images, each epoch dreams of one that follows it. And in a way, it's a very, it took a lot of effort in an analog world to have 10,000 stormtroopers marching as one. Nowadays, that's digital cinema, like that's fantasy films. Mm -hmm. We so used to seeing like the giant armies and like all this stuff that's just like created CGI that in a way it makes her film looks kind of flimsy i think or, or more authentic maybe um i mean I, I was thinking about like the scenes that are like night scenes and the tents and smoke and all that that's like lord of the rings that's like the armies of mordor <laughs> you know we see that film translated into mm -hmm. fantasy cinema and it's like 
really quick to do it now. Like she had to actually get those people mm -hmm. and like stage that stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's artisanal. But I mean, I, I, I <laughs> no, I, I, I think that um, that's a very good point. That it that uh, uh, the um, the visual tropes that she pioneered, and some of which are taken from Fritz Lang, also as well as uh, Eisenstein, are are with us still, and it's probably not. A coincidence, uh, which, as many people pointed out, that in the first Star Wars, uh, uh, George Lucas just blatantly right. quotes a a crucial scene at the uh, at, at the end of the uh, uh, from Triumph of the Will, the end of uh, his his movie, and probably didn't. I mean, you know, I've often wondered why did he do what was going on in his head, and I think it was because by that time, you know, he'd been to film school; it just was being looked at. As uh, as an example of uh, of of some kind of you know uh, uh, technical Template. yes yeah. out of technical technical brilliance and you know he wanted to show that he'd been to film school and so he 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 quoted it it was it was another thing that you could steal a move from or yeah. act from kind of yeah I, yeah. I mean when uh, Milius John Milius does the same thing at the beginning of Red Dawn but in his case he's being provided you know that's right. there. To show you that you know he doesn't give a damn, you know. I mean, he'll you know right. Lenny Riefenstahl is his kind of his kind of a filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing you mentioned is that twentieth century is that evidently Steve Bannon is a fan of of her movies, and and Roger Ailes too. And I don't know if this is you know if this has been I've seen it in print, so you know uh, um, it's been it's been reported, but. I'm, I was very sorry that uh, Errol Morris didn't get banned in talking about her. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead, he talked about Errol Morris, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just sort of odd. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also, it's interesting that, you know, she seems to have been able to achieve, like, uh, a, a, I don't know, some sort of acme of, of excess on screen. You know, that the kind of commercial Hollywood counterpart is, you know, cast of thousands, but she was able to accomplish it with, obviously, sinister in intent. Um, but it persists, you know, as, as always you were saying, in the CGI realizations now. Well, sinister, it's hard to... I, t t I think that she was, like, just an incredibly ambitious... A person, and she did have a temper. I mean, there is something authoritarian about about movies in general. Mm -hmm. And you know, she this is she like Griffith, you know, kind of honed in on that. I mean, it it suited their 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 own temperaments. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, she got to command a little army, but mm -hmm. then, but so does Cecil B. DeMille. So did all these you know these big shot filmmakers with their megaphones and 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 so on. So I don't think that. She was being sinister. I think that you could say that she was an opportunist, hmm. that she turned a blind eye, although it would have been very hard. I mean, she didn't really care. She's not, let's say she was not probably a particularly empathetic person, <laughs> right. you know, to be an active Nazi. But I don't think that she was, I don't think that she was, she was consciously uh, making something that was evil, but the film turned out that way. Hmm. The film became evil. So how does that? I mean, that that's it's interesting to compare it with Birth of a Nation then, and, and how how that was used. Uh, I mean, and, I mean, and, I don't. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I just don't think in 1935 you can live in Germany and not know what Nazism is. I mean, my mother was a little girl, and she and my grandmother were ducking into alleyways when the SR troops came past. I don't think you could just. It's not so easy to turn a blind eye in 1935. Well, lots of people, the, the, 
virtually the whole country did. I mean, you know, it was... She was with the big shots. You know, she wasn't just a little yeah. person who couldn't do anything and had to sit but, at but home. But the thing is that she didn't want to do anything. Right. She, she wanted she, to get the most out of it. She was an opportunist, yeah. Well, how does that, how does, um, not to like ask a kind of grenade of a question, but yeah. like, how does that intersect with the notion of an artist as somehow, you know, like a, a pure actor, like a person who's able to create art that's apart from the world? Is she kind of taking advantage of that pose? In yes. A yeah. <laughs> in a word, yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if, if we, we share this, this, this view, but it's possible that, that, you know, art, it's, it, it's, it's a problem. Humans make it. Humans exist in a social matrix. You don't, they're not apart. No, you're not from, a part from of. What, from what's going on around them. Mm -hmm. Nor should people be. Yeah. Artists are embedded in the real world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're not in an ivory tower, nor should they be, yeah. nor can they be. We exist in an ideological reality every yeah. minute of the day. Yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, there were, I mean, she was doing in her way, what any number of uh, Renaissance painters, you know, court painters, or, or or religious painters did. I mean, you know, she was she was promoting a new religion, and um, I'm sure it was like a big thrill to be part of this and to be and to be a big shot and to you know and to uh, be able to command these things, and also to get to impose her vision. I mean, you know, Griffith was got to rewrite history, right. basically. I mean, that's you know. Uh, um, pretty extraordinary and and people actually you know died directly <laughs> as a result of of uh, of the birth of a nation yeah yeah uh, you know the 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 difference is that there was always pushback against the birth of a nation but there was no pushback against a uh, uh, triumph of the will in, in, in germany at the time mm -hmm. and um uh, even now it's interesting i i was i give a, a lecture in, in frankfurt frankfurt university you know that's like the crack hour lecture and i had some seminars and so on and i was talking about um a the famous reagan commercial uh, uh new morning in america oh, right. you see it's like very his 1984 commercial and I, you know, we were looking at it, and I, and I made some comment about, about Riefenstahl, you know, about this is like a Riefenstahl technique. It's like nobody, these were media suits. Nobody, at least nobody admitted, you know, they, 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 they were familiar with her movies, hmm. which I think is maybe, you know, not so good either, you know, that in Germany. It's that they, just pretend it never happened. Yeah, I mean, that it can't be looked at in, in, in school. I, I feel the same way about Griffith. I think mm -hmm. that students should have to... You can't understand America unless you see the birth of a nation. Right. right. You can. I don't think you can begin. They could begin to understand like the appeal of Nazism unless they saw this movie. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm just thinking of a Eric, an interview that we had with Spike Lee with Black Klansman on the cover, um, and you know, at the end, I had to ask him, "How did you? How do you feel about Birth of a Nation now?" I mean, I know your position was this, that, and the other. And he says, like, you know, I, I was never a person who says that you should never teach it. Yes, he was. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, he claimed that they just showed it uncritically at right, NYU. That's, yeah. that's great would, cinema. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, but, yeah. you know, I guess that's possible. Yeah. But. I mean, Lenny Riefenstahl got lucky because all her great film compatriots all left the country. Uh, yes. <laughs> so she just really lucked out that's, there. That's, right. that's, that's true. <laughs> Their whole, you know, they had uh, uh, probably the... Um, the leading film industry in Europe hmm. was in Germany, and then yeah, till they uh, cleaned it up. One yeah. of the saddest things, stories I know about it is for me because you know I love the um, 
I, lo- I love the work of, of Walter Ruttman, like um, mm. Berlin Symphony of a Great yeah. City yeah. and and mm. Weekend, and I show that to my students and we, we talk about it. And then he just really went over to the dark side. He was one of Lenny Riefenstahl's assistants on Triumph of the Will. Mm. And I was like, oh God, how could he, who made such beautiful work and such pioneering work, just, he just closed down. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was some talk of him directing, directing it, it. Yeah. and then, uh, um, I mean, it's hard to say, supposedly Hitler, you know, like, uh, uh, didn't think he was up to it or was in some way fascinated by uh, Riefenstahl. I mean, they had a real mutual admiration society, the, the, the two of them. Yeah. This edition of the Film Comment Podcast is supported by the 21st River Run International Film Festival, taking place April 4th through the 14th in Winston-Salem and Greensboro, North Carolina. Over 160 films from across the globe will be screened along with filmmaker discussions, panels, and special events. This year's archival spotlight salutes the centennial of United Artists, with 35mm and 4K restoration screenings spanning the company's history introduced by special guests. Getaway packages are available at riverrunfilm.com slash getaway. IndieWire's David Ehrlich calls Transit brilliant, like a remake of Casablanca as written by Kafka. Music's Box Films presents Transit, the alluring new film from Christian Petzold, the acclaimed director of Phoenix and starring Franz Rogowski and Paula Beer. Based on the 1944 novel by Anna Segers, but set in modern-day Marseille, Transit follows a refugee from fascism who assumes the identity of a dead man and ends up pursuing the man's wife. Opens March 1st at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and IFC Center. I'm, I'm curious how, uh, you know, we've, we've touched upon like Birth of a Nation and, and that's uh, that's something that's kind of, the debates around that had a, like a, a whole new phase like in the past few years. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if, if either of you want to talk about where is Triumph of the Will now, you know, in terms of its, its stature? I, it's really hard to say. I mean, mm-hmm. I did find out, you know, that, that uh, Peter Kubelka shows it regularly in uh, at the Austrian film archives and you know similar to anthology film archives shows it as mm-hmm. as a great work of cinema i mean he programs it with flaming creatures which was <laughs> fascinating wow. to me and yeah. i asked him about it and i did not really get a straight answer you know he said mm-hmm. two flame you know that you know he, he didn't really you know because i i could understand why somebody would do that but what he told me was that he uh, he used to show uh, the birth of a nation first, mm-hmm. but then it dawned on him that there were all these, you know, like uh, Nazi sympathizers or wannabes, like coming, you know, to see the birth of a nation. They didn't stick around for flaming creatures, so uh-huh. he he flipped it. But um, I think that it's, um, you know, as I say, I think that 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 more than anything else, Susan Sontag prevented Riefenstahl from just going into, you know, the the canon uncritically. And, you know, and there's, there's a, a, a gender issue there, too, which, you know, she talks about, but we, we haven't touched on, but what was, what was real? I mean, you know, the New York Film Festival had this poster by Nikki St. Fall that uh, had Agnes, Shirley, and Lenny uh, just on there as a kind of talisman. You know, I always wondered why Maya wasn't there, but that's... You know. I found that, like, really... I'm yeah. sorry, I'm a woman, so I'm going to jump in and say I think yeah. that's horrible, actually. Yeah. I mean, I really hate when those kind of things happen. It's like, oh, don't you admire Margaret Thatcher because she was a great leader? Yeah. No, not because she was a woman. She was yeah. a terrible person. Yeah. She took Britain apart. I don't care what gender she was. We what? should be ashamed 
Women should be specially ashamed. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm pointing out, though, that she, was, she got a certain amount of dispensation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, so that people wanted to, they didn't want to lose her. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't want to lose her. I mean, uh, this was part of the thing at, when she came to, uh, to Telluride. I mean, uh, um, and then she, she I, I, I think that she spoke in some other places and, 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 and so on. I mean, there was a, there was a desire to uh, um, put her back on a kind of pedestal. I mean, some of it, you know, what, what uh, Sante, you know, unacknowledged fascination with fascism, you know, the fact that she was very glamorous. I mean, she's bragging that Mick Jagger told her that he saw her movies 15 times. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, <laughs> believe that i mean i you know it's hard to believe that he sat through triumph of will even (laughs) once but the fact that he would he he would say something like that something that she could interpret that way shows that um you know she was back in there when i was working on this article i figured she must have been interviewed in interview magazine how can i get a copy of interview and i had to to go like rummaging around before i finally found that and the and the interview is really it's a doozy i mean it's a classic she's interviewed by bianca jagger you know because they like to do a, a, a celeb interviewing right. a celeb. celeb and the two of them there's this picture of them by peter beard the photographer peter Berg. and it's like oh you know they, they, they're, they're like gal pals you know like going shopping they're on the street i mean it's, the thing is and and bianca you know who was kind of a, you know set herself up as a sort of humanitarian mm-hmm. in the um in, in, in the 70s, um, you know, was interested in relief to programs in Central America and so on. Her whole sort of gushing uh, tribute is how Riefenstahl was like unjustly, all she wanted to do was make art, but politics kept intruding. And this woman who just wanted to bring beauty to the, I mean, it was just, it's, 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 it's an amazing thing. But I feel that even though it's 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 sort of comical the way that she's saying it, that this definitely was was an attitude. And then you get somebody like John Simon calling her like one of the world's great filmmakers. And then you get this amazing thing by by Jonas, which is sort of painful to uh, uh, to bring up. But it was something that you know I, when I read it in the Voice, I never got over it when he just takes this you know, this really extreme relativist view of um, trying to will. He says, well. If you're if you're a Nazi, you'll see Nazism, and if you're if you're into form, you'll see formalism. You'll see beauty, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, is this is. Uh, I mean, it just comes back to these words that I keep thinking over and over again. There are very fine people on both sides, you know. That's a, what yep. I, it uh, makes me crazy. Well, that's the same kind of equivalence. Yeah, right. yeah, that's, right. That's exactly right. Yeah, just to kind of switch modes a little here, we were talking before about how much the ideas of documentary would figure as, as a category for, for triumph of, of the will and what that does to call it a documentary because some of what we're talking here is like basically the erasure of his history that it, attaching to a film so then you can just take it as some series of formal gestures that aren't attached to anything else and when you think about it in terms of documentary which I guess or nonfiction, which is something that kind of was happening in, in the 60s what does that do to it? Well, I think that she was clever in like attaching it to cinema verite. Right. I mean, right. I think that was that was that was shrewd. There was a kind of secondary quarrel among not so much documentary filmmakers as people who taught documentary film, because again, she was like considered one of the great. You know, it's Robert Flaherty and uh, Lenny Riefenstahl. I mean, you know, one of the great, you know, uh, uh, documentary filmmakers, and 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 people didn't want to give that up. And a few years after the Sontag articles, maybe around 1980, 
Brian Winston, who was, uh, I don't know what he does now. He was the chairman of the, of the film department at NYU for a while. And then he, a British guy, and then he went back to, uh, to the UK. But he published an article in, in Sight and Sound, which was quite rigorous in dismantling, you know, the truth claims mm. that, that the movie had. And he wrote about it in, in, in several books. And so this was controversial because he was like taking something away. He was, you know, uh, showing that it's not a documentary. It's more like an anti-documentary. It's really like, right. you know, a, a technology. What it shows you is not, you know, that, that movies are, are have some inherent truth value, but that they're like a great technology for lying and, and, and distorting. Yeah. Which is why I think it's useful to teach her her work. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I actually, strangely enough, I was at um, a documentary conference called Visible Evidence this year, and I was, I, in my talk, I was talking. I talked about Triumph of the Will, which I said should be called actually Surrender of the Intellect, <laughs> yeah. and I was talking about that film, and I said in contrast the idea of a stage documentary, and I thought the great Brechtian stage documentary is actually Tra Chaplin's great dictator because he in a very Brechtian sense is taking that film apart and he's showing how ideology works and there's that wonderful scene the great scene in that is not his humanistic speech but when he's pretending to be Hitler and he's making this speech and he's talking gibberish like pigeon German he's like ein Schnitzel and a lager beer and he's like ah. Yeah, <laughs> And he actually deconstructs in front of our eyes. And I yeah. think that is really a beautiful yeah. documentary moment. Yeah, it's, mm. and it's great to show that to students who have just seen <laughs> Triumph of the Will, because it's clear that, that Chaplin also saw it. And, right. that, and that, he's, that he just, you know, yes, I, I agree with you that that's the, that's the strongest thing in the, in the Great Dictator. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, you know, calling call, calling it cinema verite, just pick, picking up on that is, I mean, is a way of reinforcing its 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 purpose, it's, which is to say that this is the <laughs> yes. reality that, yes. that it is. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Which, and which, the only one. And the yeah. only one, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is itself. I mean, it's a form of violence. You know, to do that. I think. I mean, it, it, even though the the reality looks so so clean and everyone's unified and everything, but it's it's what's cut out and erased well and it's so it's so phony i mean the yeah. thing is that it really as a film artist if we can if we want to call her that her great talent it was not so much the camera placement which i think is something that you know had already been done and you know eisenstein and 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 fritz lang and and other directors had been doing that was her her use of of synchronous sound is what is is the way that sound is used throughout throughout the movie to create this kind of seamless thing and the music just propelling you from one uh, one scene to the next and it was you know early enough in in um, in sound technology that it you know she could have been doing certain things for the first time I mean it, it, it it's no surprise to me that she and Walt Disney would have felt a certain affinity because he was he was also involved in like doing the synchronous uh, sound stuff and the silly symphonies and and right. his other animations. Just going back to the to the Great Dictator uh, reference, I'm wondering like what other responses are there or were there to to Triumph of Will in in art? Well, there's the British film that was made at the BFI, the 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 Lambeth Walk, which was um, uh, you know it's very funny. He just got sort of like step 
printing it so well they, when they're goose step these formations are doing this kind of little dance oh, yeah. and the, the soundtrack is this popular song and it has an additional edge because for some reason or, or another that was a song that the nazis hated they you know they they banned it so it was a, it was a, an additional sort of finger in their uh in their, in their degenerate eye. music or something something i mean yeah, I, yeah. you know who knows what they're but they're yeah but it yeah. was but and then i'm trying to think of other things that it's other times that it's been used but i i like to think of of in the spirit of Bunuel, his friend jean-pierre levey's film the vampire bat <laughs> and at the end it's like the after the vampire bat sucked the blood of this animal mm -hmm. a little guinea pig and it dies and he and the voiceover says and now the vampire salute and the bat raises its right wing oh, you know uh -huh. and yeah. you're like oh my god i'm always under the seat i'm like please no no not the <laughs> <Yeah>. vampire salute <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah yeah wait what, what year is that from 1945. Mm -hmm. so, but you know there's also uh, in um one of the busby berkeley films i don't know if it's um i think it's in in uh gold diggers of 1933 there's this 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 formation dance where um, it's sort of a tap dance with the, the men on one side and the women on the other side, and uh, they're mass tapping. And as, and as the, the men come down the staircase, they're going like this. They're, they're doing a kind of, you know, uh, uh, Nazi salute. And I don't think it's because Busby Berkeley was, was a Nazi. I think that, again, you know, he was just like, oh, that, well, that, that, that's good. Work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, you know, that, 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 that's an interesting just, choreographed uh, gesture. gesture. Right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's sometimes hard to separate the, these, these stories. But w wasn't there a story that Hitler had watched American like football rallies in terms of organizing? I never, I never heard that. I, I, I don't never know. heard that. I think that he, you know, uh, um, looked at uh, uh, Fritz Lang's Wagner films and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Spear was already building <laughs> right. stuff. I mean, I think that they were, they, they didn't need to see, you know, like, right. <laughs> you know, uh, American uh, football to yeah. be into this architectural, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. monumentality. Right, right. It's interesting to think of it in terms of technological progress as well, that that this vision of like perfectly achieved film technology feeds so so neatly in, into the, to the ideology. Uh, I mean, it's a machinic world. Yeah. It's yeah. like everything, these chiseled bodies, the marching, yeah. everything is a machinic world. It's almost like it leads to what I was talking about, a post-human cinema. Yeah. We don't really need people anymore because these perfect like machine objects. Yeah. It's like, I was really right. struck at the beginning of Triumph of the Will. You see like Hitler coming into town like on a motorcade and he stands there perfectly still and the background goes past and mm. it's like he's an idol yeah. and he's a machine mm. yeah. and it's very weird. Yeah, yeah. And there's all sorts of stuff that was shot afterwards that are, in, it's interpolated into the films. I mean, when those, I mean, the most, the most obvious one probably is when they're, um, the various uh, SS, SA, whatever they are, you know, these uniformed guys yeah. are shouting out their hometown. I mean, that was yeah. not part of the rally. That's not part of the rally. She filmed that, you know, and then cut, huh. cut it into the rally. Huh. I mean, I'm curious. There is the footage of the um, German-American Bund in the rally in 1939, Madison Square Gardens. Mm -hmm. And if you look at actually the way it's shot, the low angles, the super high angles, mm. It's not unlike Triumph of the That's Will. That's interesting. Huh. And if you look at it 
because I used a section of it in my last film. If people just look at that, they assume it's in Germany, even though there's a, there's a, it's centered with this picture of George Washington, yeah. like 10 huh. stories high, but we just see it in this yeah. way that people assume it must be in German, yeah. even though that man, Fritz Julius Kuhn, is actually speaking in English. Yeah, mm. with an accent. Though. Yeah. Um, somebody just uh, um, got a hold of all the footage. Of yeah, that, there's think. a little film they made with all good quality footage. I, yeah. I actually have some crappy quality footage. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that also was always in, in, uh, in newsreels on, yeah. on TV. It's kind of remarkable. Because I remember as a kid seeing the... Um, uh, the scene where the guy rushes on on yeah. stage and they and they beat him up and being you know like uh, ask, asking my my dad what what is this you know I mean it was hard to you know it's hard to, to imagine that, to it was America yeah. in New York in 1939 yeah. but I have footage mm. of again which I've been working with of home like home movies made by Nazis yeah. big rallies in Staten Island. Well, in 1937, know, I, I, like not little, a few guys. I mean, stadium rallies. I, I've always wondered, you know, like what Fred Trump's, mm. you know, relationship yep. to the to the to the Bund mm. was. I mean, mm. I, I, nobody's ever dug anything up, but you know, like when I saw that film of the of the in the garden, I was saying, was could he have been there? I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sure he was sympathetic. I mean, uh, lots of uh, German Americans were. Well, this begs the question, like, what, so, I mean, you, you know, we almost started out with what, what are some of the, I don't know, how, how, what are the connections we can draw between uh, what we learned from Triumph of the Will and the way it's kind of glided past history <laughs> in, into, into some sort of a, into legitimacy as, as art and, uh, you know, what happens now in terms of, I mean, there's no clear parallel here, but just of an entertainment figure becoming a political figure. We have know. sloppy fascism now. You oh, know, what do you mean by that? That's well, I mean, like, Hitler, he practiced with a photographer for years to get his moves done. In front of the mirror. In front of a mirror. Uh -huh. He had thousands of photographs taken, yeah. so he could, he could really, he got all his moves done. Yeah. Trump is sloppy, you know? His rallies are sloppy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I actually, I will confess this, but I went to one. Oh, really? I went to one in August 19, I mean, 2006. 16, like when he was or a candidate, uh -huh. and everybody was like, ha, ha, ha. And I got really nervous. Where was where was the uh, rally? And I just will say that I was so nervous. I, I said, I have never heard a right-wing demagogue. Like, I need to go and I need to document this in like an anti-Riefenstahl way. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went to the nearest one I could get to by public transportation, uh -uh. which was in Fairfield, Connecticut. And I was mm -hmm. in like this huge gymnasium with like 2,000 sweating people. And I, I decided to document, not with a camera, but with drawing. Like I, I wanted to see the crowd. I uh -huh. wanted to get a yeah. vibe, a feel of the crowd. Yeah. And I wanted to draw like in the spirit of George Gross and mm -hmm. in my anti-Nazi way. And I also had to, I went, I'll tell you, in disguise as an alt-right housewife. I think like, I didn't want to be in my, you know, yeah. um, wow. I wanted to embed myself. I was uh -huh. like, yeah. I, I remember telling my husband, he was like, you're crazy. And I was like, but you know, once you get an idea, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was sloppy. I didn't couldn't even see Trump because I'm short in the crowd. Like Hitler yeah. never would have had that. Like yeah. where he was so low on the stage oh, that right. half the audience couldn't actually see yeah. him. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And you know, he rambles and this and that. And it's, yeah. it's, I mean, the only thing is 
it's super simple. And, and that kind of comes across in Triumph of the Will. They don't really say anything. It's like, it's just, it's like, it's a script that everybody knows. It's super simple. He yells, Crooked Hillary, they yell, lock her up. It's like call and response. It's really, really simple. Every person there can understand it. Mm -hmm. And he's also one thing that I thought when I was watching Trans the World, like he has an obsession with crowds and crowd size. That's like really important to him. Right. And like she has, Hitler had crowds that he could only like oh, yeah. dream of. <laughs> yeah. And even at this ridiculous rally, he kept saying, and there are thousands of people outside trying to get in and they can't get in. There wasn't one person outside who couldn't get in. It was absurd. Yeah. It's like he's talking on the radio or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. Of course, we don't know. I mean, uh, um, you know, Riefenstahl could have made it look like, uh, you know, thousands of people in there, you know. I mean, uh, certainly one thing that always puzzled me about trying for the will is where are the spectators? Hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we're the spectators. The, you know, the, the, the movie viewers are the spectators. But there are the crowds that line the streets was, yeah, and yeah. hang out of windows and stuff. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. They want mm -hmm. to see a store. Yeah. Which is, I would say that one of the things about Trump is that he's already magical because they've seen him on TV. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's just enough to have this kind of proximity to, you know, he's, he's already, you know, like so special. Mm -hmm. And did, did they not have monitors? Because uh, that seems like an oversight. Right. Yeah. yeah, as I say, it was kind of, I had no, I, I didn't care what he looked like. I know what he looks like anyway. Yeah. But yeah. I had my back to him. I was <laughs> trying to crowd, which yeah. is very uh -huh. strange. But, uh -huh. um, and this like hatred of the press, that was amazing. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like inciting people. They're like turning to the press corps and like yeah. giving them the finger. Yeah. That was the most vicious part yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. And he got all this free publicity for CNN. They used to show his right. uh, show online. You know, yeah. Yeah. Didn't he? Didn't even need a propagandist. He. <laughs> Here we are on the first day of our new state of emergency. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. How does an it emergency feel? broadcast? This is good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think we were sort of running. Uh, we've sort of run to the end of our episode. Um, I don't know if there are any final th thoughts on on Triumph of the Will. Not really. I mean, I yeah, just yeah. think that if you're going to see it, it has to be seen in context. And right. Well, the, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of a line from the, the feature where you say, we have to teach it or be, it'll teach us. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. Great. Well, thank you both so much. Obviously, there's much more we, 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 we could say, but uh, I think it was very interesting. Uh, thank you both. Thanks. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. <laughs>